welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for coming back and listening to the second part of the Mary Ellen Wilson story. Before I get started, I want to give a big thanks to those that have left me a review on iTunes. So thank you to KDE Valentia. Really appreciate it. And if you guys don't mind stopping by iTunes and leaving me a rate or review, I'd really appreciate that. It helps out a lot. And thanks to everybody who supports me on Patreon and comes around and says hi and has some fun on the Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you so much. I last left off talking about Henry Berg and him opening up the first branch of the ASPCA. Now I want to move back to Tom and Mary, the two people that have adopted Mary Ellen. So let me give a little bio background of each. Tom was a butcher, an abusive alcoholic, an overall creep. Mary was just a a bitch and a psycho housewife. They had had three children together and they all died one by one of an infectious disease that ran rampant in the tenements of that time, cholera, TB, measles, smallpox, etc. They had two girls and one boy. When the girls died, Mary didn't really show much grief or sadness or loss to the little girls. And she showed just the smallest amount towards her son. But it really wasn't all that much either. Tom and Mary pretty much were losers. They drank too much. They beat the crap out of each other. They cheated on each other and just were miserable people. So bringing a child into their terrible home was a recipe for disaster. That disaster being the horrible abuse of a child. Tom McCormick was happy to have a child again, but Mary wasn't pleased at all. Each time she laid eyes on the child, she despised her even more. She was a living mistake created from her husband's lies and carelessness and infidelity. But Mary had secrets of her own. She herself was a chronic cheater. She was cruel and angry and selfish. She felt the need for no preparation for Mary Ellen's arrival. No new clothes. She felt the little girl could just wear what she had. No bed. Just a rug under a window would do. No toys. No special food. Nothing. The worst of all was that there was no room in their hearts for love. Mary ignored the little girl until she wanted to go out and cheat and party or whatever. But she knew that she couldn't leave her alone to crawl around the apartment and get into things. So she locked her in a closet. One evening, Tom came home before Mary and found the little girl wet, hungry, and crying in the closet, and he was furious. Mary came home to find Tom sitting in the living room in his chair, cradling the little girl in his lap. Tom then put Mary Ellen down and beat his wife. And Mary just laughed at him, and and he threatened to kill her if he ever found Mary Ellen in the closet again. Mary swore that she would not allow this little girl to get away with ruining her life. The physical abuse started soon after. One night, Mary was unable to sleep because she was obsessing so much over the hate for Mary Ellen. Mary got out of bed and picked up the sleeping child and held her in her lap and proceeded to viciously pinch her. 
Mary Ellen woke up in extreme pain, confused, and began to howl. Tom heard her agony and went to see what was going on. Mary lied and said that she found the little girl like that. So then Tom took Mary Ellen into his arms and soothed her. This sicko felt vindicated and would proceed from that point on to beat and torture the little girl at her whim. Four months later, Tom McCormick was diagnosed with end-stage cholera. Cholera is an infectious disease that causes severe watery diarrhea, which can lead to dehydration and even death if untreated. It is caused by eating food or drinking water contaminated with a bacterium called Vibrio cholerae. The disease is most common in places with poor sanitation, crowding, war, and famine. The signs or the symptoms due to the rapid loss of fluids in the body are rapid heart rate, loss of skin elasticity, dry mucous membranes, including the inside of the mouth, throat, nose, and eyelids, low blood pressure, thirst, muscle cramps. If not treated, the dehydration can lead to shock and death in a matter of hours. And as you can imagine, in those times, there really wasn't a lot of ways to treat this. If they couldn't keep down fluids, and if it didn't pass, then they would likely die. By the time the doctor saw Tom, it was too late. It was only a matter of time. Mary was very concerned. She was concerned that she might get cholera. And she was concerned that she wouldn't have his income to support her. She couldn't care less that he was dying. In fact, she was pissed off that she would be stuck with Mary Ellen. Mary needed to go out and burn off her worries, so she locked the little girl and the dying man in the room behind her. Mary Ellen crawled into bed with Tom and fell asleep on his chest, getting a little bit of comfort, and he died while they slept. Let's fast forward three and a half years. Fanny, Mary Ellen's biological mother, was in the throes of alcoholism. Her second husband took off, and she lived in a filthy tenement, rolling cigars for pennies. She felt that she had nothing to live for, no husband, no daughter. Alcohol became her only comfort. Now Henry Berg and his CSPCA had grown quickly. He had started branches in Brooklyn and Pennsylvania, San Francisco, Boston, New Jersey, and Maine. He even brought the SPCA to Canada and branches were opening rapidly. They were doing amazing work and making great strides. Meanwhile, Mary Ellen's abuse had gotten worse over the years. It had become a daily occurrence. There was no boundary to the cruelty that Mary would inflict upon the little girl. Mary Ellen was not allowed to go outside. And when Mary would leave to go to work, she would lock Mary Ellen in a closet. And she would be beaten ruthlessly if she was caught outside of the closet. She was not given any food or drink and was not allowed to use the outdoor toilet. She had to hold it in all day. But Mary Ellen found a way to get out. She would spend the day longingly watching the other children playing outside. She wished that she could go outside to play, even just to breathe some fresh air. She always made sure that she put herself back into the closet before her evil stepmother came home. Mary Ellen was a remarkable child. She unknowingly kept her brain active by getting herself out of the closet, watching the children play, and using her imagination without toys. She had found a couple of little strings on the floor one day, and they became her playthings. She would dangle them against her face, letting the silky threads tickle her nose and cheeks. She loved the feeling of things touching her face like that, because the only touch that she received were slaps from Mary. Mary would put the little girl to work, getting her to help with sewing and ironing among the other chores that she was supposed to do. Mary would force her to do these things that were difficult, if not impossible, for a small child to do, like lifting a heavy iron, sewing with precision, 
or washing and drying heavy pots and pans. Mary beat Ellen with a leather cat of nine tails and would burn her with the iron, not just because of her inability to do the chores that were way beyond her abilities, but also, well, for pretty much anything. She was a sick and vindictive bitch. If Mary Ellen said the wrong thing or didn't say anything at all when she was told to be quiet, looked the wrong way, stood or sat the wrong way, anything, this poor young girl was beaten. Why would Mary keep a child that she hated so much? Well, one reason. Money. She was getting $8 a month from the government. During this time, Mary remarried a man named Francis Connolly. Mary didn't try to hide her abuse towards Mary Ellen. At first, Francis tried to help her by getting Mary to buy Mary Ellen clothes, but she refused, only taking hand-me-downs if the occasion arose. And he protested putting a lock on the closet, but eventually relented. He asked her why she would keep a child that she hated so much, and she replied, If I did that, I'd have to clean the dishes, wash the floors and the walls, and do all those other chores by myself. The older she gets, the more use she'll be to me. And Francis then looked at Mary Ellen, whose eyes remained fixed on the basin of dishes, and he said, Maybe when she's older, she'll be of some use to me too. Mary said to him, I'd see her dead first. The threat didn't have much of effect on him because soon after, the sick fucker began to sexually abuse the defenseless little girl. I'd like to take the story to another direction and talk about another important person in this story that you haven't met yet, Etta Wheeler. Etta cared for those who lived in the tenements between West 38th Street and West 42nd Street. Several members of her church lived in the dilapidated dwellings there, stacked together like dingy block-shaped mountains. Etta tried to help those who were not members of the church, though they were barely enough supplies for her parishioners. Still, she did what she could for each person she found in need. Etta Wheeler was a wonderful woman, and she had married a good man. They lived in a nice home that her parents had left for her. Her husband was a reporter, and even though they didn't make a lot of money, they lived comfortably. When she and Charles decided to marry, they agreed not to have children. There were so many unloved children in the world already, and Etta had devoted her life to the church and the needy. Now back to Mary and Frances Connolly. They decided that they needed to move to a new apartment, one that was a bit nicer than they were currently living in. The apartment was south on Ninth Avenue in Hell's Kitchen, and this was the neighborhood that Etta worked to help the needy. Margaret Bingham was the kindly owner of the apartment building that Mary Ellen and the Connollys would move into. Mary Connolly did not make a good first impression. In fact, Margaret Bingham was put off by her, but she had the income to rent the apartment and she couldn't afford to turn away a paying customer. Six months later, the tenants knew that something very bad was going on in the Connolly family. Margaret Bingham lived with her daughter and son-in-law, who was also a police officer. They all noticed that they only saw Mary Ellen once since moving into their apartment, and they were really concerned about her well-being. Why did she never leave the apartment? Why didn't she ever go to school? Stuart, the son-in-law, agreed to go check in on the child, and he used the guise as smelling smoke to enter the apartment. He knocked on the door, and when there was no answer, he entered the apartment. Inside, a little dark-haired girl pressed herself in the corner, her body quaking with fright, as she pushed and pushed with her feet to become part of the wall behind her. She squeezed her eyes closed, and it was clear that she wanted more than anything else to disappear. Little girl, Stuart said, kneeling in the doorway. There's no reason to be afraid, I promise. It was probably wise not to approach her or touch her. He said, I'm Stuart. I live here in the front of the house. My wife's mother owns the building. 
The child peeked out from behind her folded arms. What he could see of her face was bruised. Her dress was worn and tattered. The petticoat, which could be seen through the holes in the dress, was filthy and nearly worn through. He said, We were just wondering if you were all right. What is your name, little one? Mary Ellen said, My name is Mary Ellen. Stuart said, How old are you, honey? How old, she said, looking confused, and then she shrugged. I don't know. I don't know, Stuart said. Don't you ever celebrate your birthday? I don't know what that is, Mary Ellen answered. He was aghast and saddened. He explained to her what a birthday was. Where are your mummy and daddy, Mary Ellen? Mary Ellen suddenly looked very frightened and held her breath. Stuart said, Relax, honey, I promise I didn't come to harm you. After a long moment of uncertainty, she finally released her breath as an acceptance, then stretched her legs out in front of her, and Stuart cringed. They were covered in vicious welts. Some were scars of days past, and others bore the crusted blood of recent wounds. Do you know where your mummy and daddy are? Stuart asked. She shook her head. Are you hungry? He asked her, and she nodded. Yes, sir. Mama left early, and Papa doesn't do that. Do what? Feed you? Stuart asked, and she nodded. He was baffled. Where do you sleep? With your parents? Oh, no, I sleep there, and she pointed to the window. Stuart followed her fingers and saw only a tiny rug beneath the window. There? On that rug? She nodded again. Do you have a blanket? No, she said, but I'm not cold. As he opened a kitchen cupboard to see if he could find food, he heard the child scream, and he ran to her. What's wrong, sweetheart? Are you all right? Mary Ellen trembled, pressing herself into the corner as she had done when he first arrived. Slowly she showed her face, and again the fear was evident. You, you weren't going to beat me like Mama does, she asked. God, no, I would never hurt a little child, Mary Ellen. Good, she said. I only come to see if you were well, Mary Ellen, he said. Stuart's eyes were fixed on a three-foot-long horsewhip lodged inside the cabinet. It was made of braided leather and at the end which were strips of frayed rawhide. He knew why the child had acted so strangely. This was the instrument that had caused the welts on her legs. All of a sudden, the door flew open and Francis Connolly stood angrily in the doorway, asking who Stuart was. He explained why he was there, his concern about there being a fire. He left shortly after, quietly promising Mary Ellen that he was going to help her in any way possible. So what has been going on with Mary Ellen's birth mother? Well, her life had gotten even worse. Her landlord went to inspect her apartment one day because they hadn't seen her in a while. And when they entered the apartment, what they saw was an appalling sight. Frances was unconscious on the floor with bloody saliva coming from her mouth. She was dirty and emaciated. The apartment was filthy with empty liquor bottles strewn throughout. They called the doctor and Fanny was taken into the hospital where she was diagnosed with TB. Shortly thereafter, she passed away. Months later, there was a huge fight in the Connolly apartment. It was heard by everyone in the building. A neighbor was sick and tired of hearing the constant screaming coming from the apartment. The sounds of the abuse directed at the little girl was more than she could take, so she went directly to her landlord to see if she could have her put a stop to it. They discussed the goings-on and how to help Mary Ellen. Margaret confronted Mary Connolly, and she was aggressively dismissed. Another woman who lived in the apartment, Mary Letzbenny, also heard the abuse of Mary Ellen. Etta Wheeler, the woman that worked with the poor from the church, 
would come and see her, and she told Etta about Mary Ellen's terrible situation. Etta said that she would go see what she could do to help the little girl. Among other things, a big problem was that Mary and Francis were moving. After being confronted by Margaret, Mary decided that she needed to go. Etta, Margaret, and her daughter and son-in-law formulated a plan. The day that the Connollys were to move, Stuart would follow them. They didn't want to lose sight of Mary Ellen. The day that they moved, Stuart crept close behind them and breathed a sigh of relief when he saw that they had only moved one block away. Mary Ellen was still in Etta's district. Etta went to the apartment to see if she could visit Mary Ellen. She knocked on the door and there was no answer, but she didn't want to leave without seeing the child. She decided to reach out to a neighbor to see if they knew anything and maybe be willing to keep an eye on Mary Ellen to be her eyes and ears when she could not be there. Etta knocked on the door of Mary Smith. There are so many Marys in this story. <laughs> Popular name. Mary was a caring and gentle woman who was housebound because she was dying. Etta immediately felt warmth towards this kindly woman. And she asked Mary Smith if she knew anything about Mary Ellen. She admitted that she had heard Mary Ellen crying from her apartment every day. And she asked Etta if she was going to help the child. And Etta said she was. Etta told Mary Smith that she was going to ask the priest from her church to intervene. As Etta left, she decided that she was not only going to help Mary Ellen, but she was going to assist Mary Smith as well. When she entered the hallway, Etta ran into Mary Connolly. Etta found the opening she needed. She spoke in a friendly manner about Mary Smith and moved her way into the Connolly's apartment, where she found a chair and sat down. Mary Connolly was shocked by Etta's nerve. Once inside, she spotted the child standing on a little keg, washing dishes from a large pan. Mary Litzbenny had told her the child was supposed to be around eight or nine, but this frail little thing could be no more than five years old. Her arms and legs were covered with vicious welts and bruises, but her little face told her harrowing tale with more poignancy. Her eyes were empty, her expression one of fear. She bore the face of one who only know the fearsome side of life where good behavior was rewarded by silence and anything else, real or imagined, but brutality. Mary Ellen would not look at Etta. She just carried on doing the dishes. Etta was very disturbed by what she saw, but she was horrified when she saw the horsewhip that Stuart had told her about. It was hung up in the kitchen by where Mary Ellen stood. By this time, Mary Connolly had had enough of Etta's intrusion and told her to leave and Etta swore that she would not rest until this little girl was taken out of that place. She went right to Pastor Jameson. Pastor Jameson listened to everything that Etta said and agreed to see Mary Ellen, but first he wanted to see that the police were notified and see if there's anything that they could do. But if they were unable to help, he would go see the child and appeal to her parents. So Etta went to the police, and the police didn't seem very concerned, they said there was not very much they could do, but they would check in on the situation. Months passed and the police had not even gone to visit Mary Ellen. The police said that in order to investigate, the person being abused would have to come forward to report it. And this, of course, was ridiculous. Mary Ellen was a small, innocent child, and in no way could she go to the police. Etta was very frustrated. She knew that there were not any laws to protect children. She had to find a way. Every visit with Mary Smith revealed that the abuse was as bad as ever. Time may be running out for the little girl. 
Etta went back to Pastor Jameson and he agreed to go see the Connollys. He was met by Mary Connolly in her usual rude and self-righteous manner. Although she didn't invite him into the apartment, he ingratiated his way in. He saw Mary Ellen right away and was sickened and saddened by what he saw. She was barefoot and the bottoms of her feet were filthy. Her tattered white dress was nearly in shreds. Her dark brown hair didn't appear to ever been combed. When Mary Connolly asked why he was there, he said, That poor child is the reason I've come to see you. He had no desire to mince words. And then Mary yelled to her husband, Francis, get him out of here. Get him out of here right now. The pastor said, As a representative of the church, I have come to ask you to give up this child. I will make sure that she is placed in an appropriate home. Mary was furious and demanded that the pastor leave. The pastor looked her straight in the eye and told her that she would burn in hell and that help was coming for that child. He turned to Mary Ellen and told her that she had done nothing wrong and he would make sure that she would be removed from that home and into a loving one. Afterwards, the pastor and Etta met and they felt very frustrated. They felt that their hands were tied, but Etta had an idea. After all, they had nothing to lose. On April the 7th, 1874, Etta went to visit Henry Berg, the head of the SPCA. Etta told Henry that she was not visiting him because of the abuse of an animal, but rather the abuse of another poor creature, the child Mary Ellen Wilson. Berg sat quietly and listened to Etta, not saying a word until she was done. Etta was very worried that her words had fallen on deaf ears. It was just the opposite, and he said, quote, Animals and children are both innocent victims at the mercy of adult men and women. It may be more difficult to rescue abused children than abused animals, but before success or failure, if any may be realized, a task must be first undertaken. End of quote. Etta was beside herself with happiness and gratitude. They may actually be able to rescue Mary Ellen. Etta went about gathering as much evidence as she could. She talked to anyone who had come in contact with Mary Ellen and Mary Connolly. Meanwhile, Henry Berg spoke to his lawyer about representing Mary Ellen. He readily agreed. Francis Connolly realized that something was up and that he might be in big trouble for the way that he treated Mary Ellen and for allowing Mary to abuse her. He fled the apartment, never to return. Mary Connolly started to freak out. She knew she was in big trouble and needed to move right away. Mary Smith heard the whole thing and she needed to get a message to Etta right away to tell her that Mary Connolly was about to run. Thankfully, Etta was already on her way to the apartment. She needed to move quickly before Mary left. Etta immediately went to Berg's office to inform him of the urgency of the matter. Thankfully, Berg and his lawyer, Gary Elbridge, had already petitioned the courts and the case had been accepted. It was time for the police to move in and save Mary Ellen before she was gone, maybe forever. It was agreed upon that a kind officer by the name of McDougall would remove the child from her abusive home. Officer McDougall and a few other police arrived to the Connolly's apartment in a police wagon just as Mary Connolly was packing up a carriage to move. The police had arrived just in time. They caught Mary Connolly red-handed. They rescued Mary Ellen and arrested Mary Connolly. Meanwhile, Henry Berg had wisely called the press and have them go to the police station to witness Mary Ellen being taken into protective custody and her stepmother, Mary Connolly, being arrested. New York Tribune reporter Jacob Reese took a special interest in the case and became one of the main reporters. He worked tirelessly to report the case and to help get justice for Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen was placed into the care of Etta Wheeler during the court proceedings. 
The judge wanted to meet Mary Ellen, and he was moved when he saw the ravages of abuse of the little girl. He was sad for her and disgusted with Mary Connolly. Now, I could go on to tell you about the whole court case and all that went on, but I decided to let you off the hook. Many, many witnesses came forward on Mary Ellen's behalf. The case was huge in the papers. Everyone wanted justice for the abused child. Many wealthy women had come forward to offer to adopt her. Berg and Elbridge won the case for Mary Ellen, and after 20 minutes of deliberation, Mary Connolly was found guilty. This is what was said. Quote, Mrs. Connolly, I have no doubt whatever of your guilt. You have been afforded every opportunity to prove your innocence, and this court is fully satisfied that you are guilty of gross and wanton cruelty. End of quote. He looked for a moment at Mary Ellen, resting comfortably in Etta's lap, and then continued, quote, This jury has found you guilty of felonious assault against Mary Ellen Wilson. Bear in mind, I would have been satisfied if the jury had found you guilty of the highest offense charged. As a punishment to you, but more as a warning to others, I shall sentence you to the extreme penalty of the law, one year in the penitentiary at hard labor. End of quote. Now, this may seem like a ridiculously small amount of time. I mean, in my opinion, she should have gotten life. But I must remind myself that a huge precedent had been set. Children could now be protected under the eye of the law. Henry Berg was putting in motion a society for the protection of children. So what happened to Mary Ellen Wilson? Well, she was adopted by Etta's sister, Elizabeth Spencer, and her kind and gentle husband. They had young children of their own so that Mary Ellen would have brothers and sisters and children to play with. They lived on a lovely little farm with many animals. Mary Ellen, for the first time, could run through the fields and play. Mary Ellen attended school and got very good grades, and she was very much loved and cherished by the Spencer family. In 1888, at the age of 24, she married a widower of German heritage, Louis Shutt. Mr. Shutt was a gentle and intelligent man. In April of 1897, Mary Ellen gave birth to her first daughter, Etta, named for Etta Wheeler, and four years later, May of 1901, she bore her second child, a daughter that she named Florence. Mary Ellen worked hard to care for her family and at one point took in another child by the name of Eunice to care for as a foster child for many years. Mary Ellen's daughters had children of their own and she was a loving and well-loved grandmother. Though she was not active in child protection movement, Mary Ellen did attend the 37th annual meeting of American Humane Association that was held in Rochester in October 1913. At the meeting, Mrs. Etta Wheeler presented a paper entitled The Finding of Mary Ellen, in which she described her role in the rescue of the abused child. Both Etta and Florence attended college and became teachers. Etta was a well-respected teacher in the Rochester's public schools, and she had a deep love for working with children, and her teaching career spanned over 39 years. She died in 1988 at the age of 84. Florence also had a long teaching career, 37 years, but one in which she achieved a unique honor. In 1955, Chile School 11, where she had taught since 1928, was officially named the Florence Brasser School in her honor. She continued to teach at the school that bore her name until her retirement in 1961. In 1967, the New York State Legislature recognized Mrs. Brasser for her lifelong accomplishments with a resolution in her honor. She died in 1993, and Mary Ellen herself died October 30th, 1956, at the age of 
92. So it's an amazing happy ending overall, but horrific that this poor little girl went through so much pain and torture. This is one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. When I first found out that there was an SPCA, protection for animals, before there was even protective service for children, I just couldn't believe it. And I knew I had to tell this story. So I am so glad that you joined me here today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Well, not, not the bad stuff, the good part. Anyway, don't forget to take care of one another, love one another, take care of yourself, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.